everyone good morning. We can start making our way to our seats. We'll get started this morning. All right, good morning. Welcome to Gateway this morning. It's great to see everybody on this beautiful day. Those watching us at home, we're so grateful and glad you're able to join us this morning as well. Got a few announcements before we begin our time to worship the Lord in song and to hear his word this morning. Um, just wanted to remind everybody, Wednesday activities have kicked back in this past week, so we, we're underway with our Bible studies on Wednesday nights and our uh, kids club for the kids and the youth are involved in their new study. But just want to let you know, it's not too late. We just started. Uh, we had coffee and donuts this last week. There's been some introductions. Uh, but for the men, uh, Bible study for two ladies, there's two different options. Uh, we ask you, for those that um, you know, are praying about or considering it, to go to our website at gatewaybaptist.com. It's got all the information under the news and events page of all the different studies and what we have to offer. So please consider that as we continue on Wednesday nights. Ladies, this coming Saturday night, you have a time of fellowship and a way to get together and build some community and friendships with a game night um, at 6.30 this Saturday night in the gym. Also, any girls in here are sixth grade and up, teenagers and sixth grade girls, you are more than welcome to come and to join in with your moms and for those uh, other ladies to have fun and just enjoy time of fellowship. Um, all the information as well is on our news and events page on our website, or you can talk to Trish Butterfield. She's helping organize this. So a wonderful time for the ladies this weekend. Next Sunday after church, we have an opportunity. We're calling it Nifty 50s and Beyond. A little gathering. There it is. Um, who are Nifty 50s? 50 and up. Let's see you. All right. Who's beyond? Sorry. I just love that. I feel like Buzz Lightyear. You know, Nifty 50s and beyond. Okay. I'm not quite to the beyond yet, but a great opportunity next Sunday after church. Uh, Greg, it's to see you. Tell me gracious to organize this, to have a time of fellowship, to get together. Uh, we're going to have lunch together after church right up the road here at Jalapenos. And then afterwards, for those that desire, um, there's a violin concert at the Museum of Fine Arts. Um, it does require tickets that you can order online. Um, so you can either do one or the other or both. Uh, but those opportunities are for next week for all those 50 and up. And just a wonderful time of fellowship to get together. If you have any other questions, you can ask Greg and Cecilia. And again, all the information is on the website. Um, also, for visitors, anybody who's been visiting Gateway, if this is your first time, we welcome you this morning. Or You've been visiting for a few weeks. We have an opportunity in two weeks uh, for a class that's at Pastor Grady's house called Discovered Gateway. And it's an opportunity to get to know a little bit more about who we are, our DNA, our governance, our vision, mission, all that sort of thing. If you're pursuing the possibility of membership or want to be a part of this faith family, that's the beginning step. Just to have a time of fellowship at his home and to hear um, a little bit about who we are at uh, Gateway. And so registration is required so they can prepare accordingly for food. And so we ask you to do that. And the website has all that information, but that's in two weeks of Discover Gateway Lunch. And lastly, a little bittersweet announcement. We have one of our faith family members here heading to a different city. So Brandon and Emily Jones are moving. Um, they are leaving us, and we are very sad, but very happy at the same time. They have been an amazing part of our faith family for a few years. Um, they have been faithfully serving our teenagers in the youth group, teaching through small group, discipleship. They're uh, ministering in the young adult ministry as well. But there's a job opportunity that came up down in the Dothan area, and that's also where Emily's family is from. And so we feel love that the Holy Spirit is moving into Dothan. So we're 
miss you. We love you. So appreciate We are a better body because you've been there. You've faithfully served. We so appreciate you, too. So we ask at the end of the service, after the sermon, during the last worship song, if you guys can come down and we're going to lay hands on you and pray over you. We love you both very much. All right, saints, let's stand up. Let's prepare our hearts to worship the Lord in song and to declare his word and to worship him this morning. I'm going to read from Psalm 96. Amen. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes... He comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's worship him this morning.
Christ alone, Christ alone, what is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong, and who holds our days within His hand, what comes of pride from His command, and what will keep us
salvation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to
Thanks, William. And first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth grade, you are dismissed to kids' worship. You're with Mr. Rick there. If you head out those double doors down the hallway. So for those new to Gateway, let me just remind you with the kids, if your kids are headed to kids' worship after the service is over, before you get into all those fun conversations, go to the blue hallway in the back of the gym building and check out your kids from there and then bring them back with you and enjoy fellowshipping after the service. I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're new to Gateway or visiting this morning, we're taking a year-long journey crawling verse by verse through the book of 1 Peter to unpack God's wisdom for us and how it shapes our lives. Now, over the last two weeks as we've begun this new year, we've seen some huge challenges for us and how we relate to one another. We saw two weeks ago what God's will is for how we relate as brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And we saw what our thoughts should be to one another, what our feelings should be for one another, and how our actions should be brotherly love. And then last week, it got even more challenging because we saw God's will for how we relate to people who wrong us, how instead of retaliating, we're to bless and we're to love instead of repaying evil for evil. So in light of all that, I want to ask you a question this morning. Think back to some of the recent conflicts you've had. We've all had conflicts. We're all sinners, and we all live in different contexts with other sinners around us. What are some of the recent conflicts you've had? Perhaps children with your parents, parents with your kids, husbands and wives, roommates, friends, co-workers. What are some of the conflicts that you have had in recent months? As you think about that, There's a question that Ken Sandy asked. Ken Sandy wrote a great book we have in the Resource Center called The Peacemaker. And here's this question for you as you think about those conflicts. He says, what is the difference between the way you handle conflict and the way a good atheist would handle it? So think about those conflicts you've had in recent months. What is different in how you handle conflict than an atheist would handle it or a Hindu would handle it? What is different in how you approach relational difficulties because you know Christ, because you understand the gospel. When others revile you, when others have sinned against you, what is different in your response? Because you know God. Friends, the reality for us as Christians, so often we handle conflict in the way the world does. There's two different ways typically the world handles conflict. Some, one approach is to attack the person who wronged you. That's what we saw part of last week in attacking with our words. When someone reviles us, we tend to revile in return. We lash back out. We attack with our actions as well. We can attack and physically hurt people and You see the extreme of that with even murdering. Some attack when they feel they've been wronged. But others respond to wrongs by escaping, trying to deny that the problem even exists, brushing off the conflict, pretending all is well. And some will go as far as to withdraw and ignore the person and give them the cold shoulder. Some will even run away and some will even take their own lives. If we respond to conflict with attacking or escaping, we're responding the way the world responds to conflict. But what Peter is showing us and what we're coming today is God has a better way for us and how we respond to those difficulties. Because, friends, the reality is how we respond to conflict shows what we think about God. And don't miss that. How we respond to conflict shows what we think about God. Again, Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, says, every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think about God. You will show that either you have a big God or that you have a big self. How we respond to conflict shows that either we have a big God, if we attack the other person or we withdraw, it's because we have a big self. Or if we follow the path that God is showing us today in 1 Peter, it shows that we have a big God. And that's exactly where Peter is going next as he continues this section of his letter about how we relate to one another. How does God call us to relate to 
one another, particularly when we have been wronged against. I want us to find the answer this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to do two verses this morning, verses 10 and 11. So I can ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll also have the words on the screen for you. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have laid out so clearly for us how you want us as your people to respond in the tough situations of life. So Lord, I pray for much grace today for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would use your word and use your Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the truth of the word to mature us and sanctify us and grow us to be more like Christ so we may glorify you with our whole lives, even in the difficult situations. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, two things we need to understand about this text to really see what we're supposed to go with this. The first thing you need to realize about this text, this is a quotation from the Old Testament. The verses we're looking at today and what we'll come to next week in verse 12 are not original to Peter. Peter is quoting King David in the Psalms. And I want you to see that. Psalm chapter 34, verses 12 to 14. See if this sounds familiar. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Sound familiar? Peter's quoting that text here in what we're looking at in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. Now, there's a few slight wording differences because he takes the question that's raised in Psalm 34 and he makes it a principle, an application, a statement of truth for believers today. Now, why does he quote Psalm 34? Well, it's not because he's writing this letter going, wow, I'm really tired of coming up with new ideas. Let me quote something and give myself a break. He's quoting this for a very specific reason. Now, think about what Peter's been showing us in here so far. He's been showing much about the reality of suffering in life the reality of hardships in life, and our call as believers to respond differently to those trials and to those hardships. And so he goes back to Psalm 34 because it's an Old Testament psalm that teaches the exact same thing that he has been teaching us. Psalm 34 is all about God's people suffering. In fact, it's written by King David when King David was hiding in caves because Saul was after him trying to kill him. And so in the midst of that suffering, Psalm 34 gives us a model of what we are to do. Now, if you think back when we studied the Psalms several years ago, there's different genres, different types of Psalms. And though this is a Psalm about suffering, this is a Thanksgiving Psalm. Because in the middle of the suffering, you see David praising God. Look at Psalm 34, verses 3 and 4. These beautiful words, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So in the midst of David fleeing for his very life, he is calling believers to magnify the Lord with him, to seek the Lord. It's a thanksgiving psalm. But this is also a wisdom psalm because it shows us how to respond in godly wisdom to the challenges of life. Look at verses 13 and 14 that we just read. In the midst of suffering, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So in the midst of this suffering, we have wisdom for how we're to respond. We have thanksgiving to turn our hearts back to the Lord. So Peter quotes it here to show us other scriptures from the Old Testament that teach the very thing he has been teaching. So go back to our verse today, to verse number 10. And notice that very first word, for. He says for. Now why is he saying that? Because he's about to quote Psalm 34 to reinforce what he's just been saying. What's he just been saying? Look back to verses 8 and 9, what we saw the last two weeks. Finally, 
All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. You may obtain a blessing for... And now he quotes the psalm. He's using the psalms to show us how to live a life that loves other people. He's quoting the psalms to show us how we respond without reviling when we have been wronged. Now, friends, don't miss the significance of this. This is a beautiful model for us of the sufficiency of Scripture. When Peter wants us to understand how to respond to tough situations in ways that are so unnatural, he takes us back to other Scriptures. Friends, he's showing us that when we want to know truth, we run to the Scriptures. If we want to teach people how to respond, we take them to the Scriptures. If we want to encourage people and help people when they're struggling, we take them to the Scriptures. So the first thing to realize about this text, what we're reading today is a quotation from Psalm 34. Now, the second thing to realize, this quotation has five imperatives. It has five commands in this text. If you're in the Psalms or, in, for our case, in 1 Peter 3 here, there's five commands, and these all go together to show us a picture of how God desires us to respond even when life is hard. Now, look back at verses 10 and 11 to see the commands. The first command starts about halfway through verse 10. The first one, keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. There's number one. Now, verse 11. Number two, let him turn away from evil. Number three, do good. Number four, let him seek peace. And number five, let him pursue it being peace. Those are the five commands that we have been given. Now, friends, these are not random commands here. There's actually a flow of thought to them. And for those of you whose brain works like my brain, which I'm sorry if that's you, um, I understand this text better in reverse order. Now, I know that may sound crazy, but this text to me makes so much more sense in reverse order because those last two commands you see in verse 11, seek peace, pursue it, that's the goal. That's the big picture. That's the end for which God is calling us to do everything else. That's what God wants our relationships to be like, relationships where we pursue peace. Now, how do we pursue peace? What does that look like? Well, that's the middle command there of verse 11, do good. So if you want to have peace in your relationships, the command in the middle shows you how to get there, do good. But peace is so easily wrecked, so these first commands are what shows us what not to do so that we don't wreck that peace. We're to turn away from evil and go back to verse 10. We're to keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. So this is a progression of thought that starts with, and if you start at the end of it, what the goal is, pursuing peaceful relationships. It shows us how to get there and it shows us what not to do, what things to avoid that can so quickly break that process. And then at the very beginning of verse 10 is a phrase that shows us the motivation for doing all these things. So this is a beautiful text from Peter. Here's your motivation. Here's what not to do. Here's what to do. And here's the goal by God's grace that happens as you pursue this. So we're going to start at the back of this text then and work backwards through this text today. So let's start with verse 11, the end of verse 11. This is the goal in our relationships. And that goal is peace. Look at this phrase in, in verse 11. Let him seek peace and again, the let him carries on. Let him pursue it. So what is the peace that we're to be seeking and pursuing? Now, in Scripture, peace can mean different things. Sometimes it means peace with God, that we've been restored to a right relationship with him. Sometimes in Scripture, peace means peace within yourself, that you're free of anxiety and worry because you're trusting in God. And other times, peace in Scripture is peace in relationships. That's what this peace is talking about today, how we have peace in our relationships, peace with others. So what does a peaceful relationship look like? We know the word, but what does that actually mean? Well, it means several things. It means our conflicts have been resolved. It means forgiveness has been granted and been accepted. It means there's harmony and there's understanding. It means there's goodwill. It means there's care and compassion for 
one another. As I was reading this week, again, going back to Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, I love how he describes what someone who pursues peaceful relationships looks like. He said this, they are people who breathe grace. Now think about that. A peaceful relationship is someone who breathes grace. They bring God's love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to the conflict of daily life. Friends, I just love that. If this is a picture for us, what our lives would be like, we're to be people who breathe grace and relations. We're to be people who bring God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his strength, his wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. But notice something, even as Ken Sandy describes it that way, that takes intentionality. You don't accidentally breathe grace. You don't accidentally bring God's love, mercy, forgiveness, and wisdom into relationships. It takes effort, and that's exactly what these commands of verse 11 are telling us. Look at that phrase again at the end of verse 11. Let him seek peace and pursue it. This word seek is a very strong verb in the Greek language which this was written. It means putting forward much effort and much strength. You're seeking, you're putting forward a lot of effort. So this is not the picture of you walking through the park casually hoping to find your friend. This is the picture of you trying to catch up to Jeff and Seth as they're running in the morning going through downtown. It would take everything in me plus more to try to catch up to them running. That is the picture here for us of seeking. You're putting forth everything you have to get to something, to have, to have harmony in your relationships with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbor. It will take effort. And notice the second word that he uses here about peace. He says we're to pursue peace. Now, this is another strong verb in the Greek. It's a word, a word from hunting when you're chasing something to try to catch it. So if you watch Discovery Channel and you see the little rabbit running through the woods, what's the leopard doing? He is seeking that little rabbit, right? You see him crouching. He's focused. And when he runs after that little rabbit with all of his mind, now I usually look away at that point in the show, you know what happens. He is seeking after something. That's the word that we have here, that we're to seek and we're to pursue. We're to take everything in us to breathe grace into relationships. We're to take our effort, our time and energy to bring God's love, God's mercy, God's wisdom, God's strength to relationships. That's what God has called us to do. Now, an important clarification here for us, friends, this is not a command to make peace happen. This is a command to desire it and to pursue it. This is not a command to make peace happen. It's a command to pursue it, to desire it. Peace requires all people being involved in this. You're called to do your part. You cannot control the response of another. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 is a text in the scripture I'm so thankful that God has given to us. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. And notice in that, that means that there are situations where you can, by God's grace, do all you can to breathe grace, to bring God's wisdom into relations, and the other person will say no, and they'll walk away. Peace is not dependent upon you. You're called to, as far as it depends on you, pursue peace with people, trusting God with the rest. But for our responsibility that we're to do, God says back in verse 11, seek peace and pursue it. So how do we seek peace? How do we pursue peace in our relationships? So let's work backwards through our text here. That's the command before that, that short little phrase in the middle, do good. If we want to seek peace, if we want to pursue peace, it requires us to do good. Now, what does it mean to do good, friends? Well, think about how Peter has used this word before. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see, here it is, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Good, here's a, is a synonym for your deeds, your actions, which is a synonym for your conduct at the beginning of the verse. So your good deeds are your outward actions and words, your visible 
conduct. Verse 15 of chapter 2 shows the same thing. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So back to verse 11. If we want peaceful relationships, we are to do good. We are to show loving actions towards other people. Remember what we say often, love is a choice we make to give of ourselves for the good of another. That's what we're being told here. If you want peace in your relationships, you must pursue the good of the other person. You must seek to serve them, not only to be served. So these are the loving actions that we do towards the other people. That means, friends, we pursue peace in relationships not by waiting for the other person to make the first move. Not just by avoiding conflict, but by an intentionality of running after, doing good, blessing, serving those other people. Not only in praying for them, but in our words and actions as well. So the big picture goal here for us in our relationships is to pursue peace. How do we pursue peace? We seek the good of the people we are in relationship with and how we speak to them and how we act towards them. But there's a warning here for us in this text is that type of peace is so easily broken. Now, how do we break the peace? There's a lot of ways, but perhaps the number one way we break peace, with our speech, with our mouth. The way we often break peace at home, in the church, with our coworkers, with our friends, is in what we say. Look at what James says when we studied James several years ago. James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is how it describes our tongue. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Then in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Because that is not a pretty picture of my speech and your speech. That Our fleshly speech is one that will wreck peace. The reality is we have all in this room been hurt by other people's words And the reality is every single one of us has hurt other people in our lives by our words as well. So how do we not break the peace? That's these first two commands of this verse. These are the things that we put off, that we must seek God's grace to rid from our lives. Look at the end of verse 10 and how it flows into verse 11. Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. So these commands all go together that we're to turn away from evil, particularly evil speech. Now, what does evil speech mean? What would that include? That include what we saw last week in verse 9, reviling. When someone attacks us and we attack back, that would include retaliation. It include yelling at someone, which Scripture calls clamor. It include put-downs, cynical, sharp comments of others, critical comments, deceit, which we see in our verse here today, to keep your lips from speaking deceit, lies, exaggeration. This include false promises or vows. This include being rude or harsh or impatient or not treating someone with honor. This include using God's name in vain. This includes so much more where you get the picture. That's all the evil speech that we're told to put off. Notice verse 10 here. It says, let him keep his tongue from evil. This word here for keep is a Greek word that means to stop completely, to cease completely. That means it's not like, okay, I'm only getting critical to my family once a week now. I'm doing okay. This is like, no, there's no place for any evil speech anywhere in our lives. And that attacks right at our hearts because we are so prone to justify our sharp comments. We're so quick to justify our anger towards others. We're so quick to justify whether raising our voice, whatever it is. And God says to us, no, I have a better path for you, a path of peace. Don't go down the path of any type of evil speech Put it off from your life. Now, there's a slight problem with that, that charge to us. We can't do that. James chapter 3, 
verse 8, in the same context of James, James chapter 3, verse 8, I think we have that for you on the screen. We, have the, we don't have James 3, 8, okay? Let me read James 3, 8 for you here. James chapter 3, verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so we're told here to put off all evil speech. Stop, cease completely all evil speech from your life. But then we're told in James, you can't do that. No human being can tame your tongue. So what do you do? How do you obey this command to put off all evil speech from your life, to cease it completely? You cry out to God to do it for you. You cry out to God to change your speech. We talk a lot about his transforming grace, the grace upon grace God gives us to become more like Christ. And so we run to God every day saying, God, you know my speech is so often evil. You know my speech so often breaks peace. God, I need you to tame my tongue. I need you to control my tongue. Would you reign in my speech to make my speech more like Christ? Now, friends, if you want a beautiful example of what it looks like to pray this, King David, who we already saw in Psalm 34, has a beautiful prayer in Psalm 141, verse 3. Now, this is a prayer I would love for you to memorize, to think about. This should be something we should pray every day. David prays, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, friends, that would be a great thing for us to all pray every single day. And think how different our homes would be, our workplaces would be, our friendships would be, our church would be, if every day we, before the Lord said, Lord, I need you to guard my speech today so I promote peace, not destroy it. Lord, guard my tongue today. You know how many fires my tongue has set this year. Would you today keep watch over my lips so that I do not hurt people with my words? One of the authors I was reading this week said it so well. He said, James chapter three, verse eight, says that nobody can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That is the tongue that we have to control. No wonder the psalmist pleaded with God to guard his mouth to prevent him from such sins. That's it, friends. The tongue that we have to control is the one that God says no one can control. So we, as his people, run to him every day like David saying, Lord, guard my speech. Change my speech today. So, so far we've seen in this text that we're working backwards. God's call for us is to pursue peace. How do we do that? We do good. We seek to bless. We seek to love others by breathing grace into those relationships. But since we're the ones who break the peace so easily, we also now pray to God daily, asking him to guard our speech so that we do not wreck the peace that he gives. Now, with that path laid out, there's one last thing Peter shows us here, and that's the motivation to live like this. Why? This is hard, friends. This is hard to pursue peace. This is hard to want to do good, especially to people who hurt us. It is hard to even every day surrender our speech to the Lord. Why should we bother doing this? And Peter tells us at the beginning of verse 10. Notice how he begins. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him, and those five commands follow. Notice this first phrase here, whoever desires to love life and see good days. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, there's a four that connects it. Go back to verse nine right before it. He's already talked to us about not reviling and blessing. And notice how he ends verse nine. So that you may obtain a blessing. So don't miss how these go together, friends. God is calling us to be peacemakers, and he motivates us to do that by promising to bless us when we do. He promises to bless us when we do. And what is the blessing he promises us? That's the beginning of verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. God is saying if we want the blessing of him to love life and see good days, he says pursue peace, verse 9 there, And then in verse 10, he gives us the love of life and good days. Now, what in the world 
does that mean? Because people are so quick to misconstrue this. What that does not mean is if you pursue peace, you get a new SUV, you get a bigger house, you get that pay raise you want or that new job. That's not what this is talking about. That's about as far from what this text means. What does it mean to get the blessing of loving life and seeing good days? Now, this is a phrase that has frustrated me all this week because I have about like 10 or 11 commentaries I read every week on 1 Peter, and about half of them said one thing and half said another. And these are all like trusted people. These aren't like people out in left field somewhere. These are people who love the Lord and are faithful to his word. And I've got two stacks on my desk of two completely different ideas of what this text means. Let me tell you both of them and tell you where I land. Part of the scholars say this loving life and seeing good days is not about the here and now. It's about eternity. This is those good days that we long for in heaven when we're free of pain and free of any conflict, when we have peace in every way, peace with God, peace with one another. Everything is peaceful where we enjoy his presence forever. And they have a pretty compelling reason for saying this. All throughout 1 Peter, Peter never really emphasizes temporal blessings. Peter's always focused on eternity. So, for example, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 to 5 is where he began. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Too. And here it is, an inheritance, but still to come, is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. They'd be like, look, see, the blessings you have from God are this inheritance that's being held for you that you will get in the future. You only get a taste of it now. Or if you go back to the verse before us in verse 9, we're told that you may obtain a blessing. This word obtain is really not the best word. The Greek word is that you may inherit a blessing. It's the same word from chapter 1. We have an inheritance, and so the blessing here is something that we inherit, not something we earn. So the scholars would say, listen, this means this loving life, living good days, is about that longing we have for eternity. Now, if you go to the other stack on my desk of people who love the word, they say, no, 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 this is about the blessings of here and, here and now with God. This is not riches, but this is God's presence with us now. He's saying as we seek to be peacemakers, we have a special sense of God's presence with us. We have the assurance of him walking with us through those difficult relationships. We get the joy of seeing him answer prayer. We get the promise of him bringing good out of the trials. And their reason is pretty compelling also. You go to the verse, verse 12 right after what we're going to study next week. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. And they go, see, look, the very next thing Peter says is here and now. That God is with his people as they seek to do these things. Now, in the midst of all that, one commentary I pulled out because it said, actually, let's stop arguing. It's both. And I'm like, there it is. I think it's actually both. It's a both and. Because if you think about this, in verse 9, right before this text, this is inheritance. This is what's still to come. And in verse 12, right after this text, is God's presence with us now. I can't help but think Peter put this promise of blessing in the middle and then bookended it with eternity and bookended the other side of it with the here and now. The answer, friends, is both. Verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days... Follow this path. God promises to bless you now and for eternity as we seek to be peacemakers. That blessing is the same thing. It's God's presence. It's God's fellowship. As we are peacemakers because he has given us peace, we get now to enjoy his presence. We get now the reality that he is walking with us through those trials. And even as we seek to make peace, whether the other person reciprocates or not, we know we have God's favor upon us and that is enough. But that blessing is knowing that that's just a foretaste of what's to come. That we have an eternity with an inheritance where we have peace with God forever, peace with one another forever. And so this longing for this peace and the blessing of God now is just a taste of what is to come. 
Peace with God now and forever. I believe the blessing is a both and. That that is the good days he is talking about here. This loving life. That's a life where we know God now and we'll know him more in the future. A life now where we experience God's presence now and we'll experience it more in the future. One of the authors I read said, your life becomes a foretaste of the promised future that you cherish. That's exactly what it is. We cherish these days in heaven where we're with God forever and we're with his people forever and there's complete peace and our life now becomes a foretaste of that as we experience the blessings of God as we seek to be peacemakers. Let's bring all of that back together. Here's what I want you to see from verses 10 and 11, the challenge for us today from this text. God calls us to be so aware of his blessings for us that we speak and act in ways that promote peace. God is calling us to so focus on him, his character, his nature, and his blessings on us that we now speak and act towards others in ways that promote peace. He's calling us to focus on him, friends. The reality is we are a distracted people. It's so much easier to focus on our social media, to focus on the news, to focus on whatever else, than to focus on God. And God sets before us this incredible promise of blessings now and blessings for all eternity to turn our focus to all and wonder for him and to let that motivate us and drive us as a people who have peace with God to now speak and act in ways that promote peace with others. By doing good, by blessing them, by being people who breathe grace, and by being people who daily pray, asking God to restrain our speech so our speech does not hurt other people. Friends, I want to go back to our first question. How do you handle conflict? Are you one who attacks? Are you one who escapes because we have big views of ourselves? Are we ones who have such a big view of God, his grace, his blessings, that we are a people who breathe peace who breathe grace, who bring God's wisdom and love and mercy and forgiveness into relationship. Friends, are we so transformed by God's grace that we are peacemakers? In areas, friends, where we realize we are falling short, this is not a call to try harder. This is a call to turn our eyes to Jesus, to focus on him, his glory, his greatness, his blessings, and to pray to him, asking him to change us so that we are a people who promote peace because he is a God of peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that as your people, we have peace with you. What an incredible thought that we who are your enemies, you pursued us as we already sang earlier, and you gave us a peace with you that we could never earn. Thank you, God, that you've given us peace within ourselves, knowing that we don't have to be anxious, that you are holding us, that even our trials and sufferings are part of your good plan to grow us and mature us and to sanctify us. Lord, thank you so much that you've called us to this challenging but good calling of promoting peace. Lord, you are a God of peace. It's one of your attributes. It's a communicable attribute that you share with us and call us to be peacemakers. And so, Lord, we pray for much grace. Lord, you know and we know, even if no one else knows, the damage that we have done where we have broken peace with others before. Where we've hurt family members, where we've hurt friends, where we've hurt fellow believers, where we've hurt lost people, where we've hurt neighbors and coworkers, where we've been living with a big self instead of a big view of you. So, Lord, we just humbly ask you to forgive us for that. We know that all of our sins were dealt with with Christ on the cross. And so we can come to you asking for your forgiveness, knowing that you, Lord Jesus, have already purchased us forgiveness for all of our sins, including all the evil words we have said, all the ways that we have broken peace. Lord, we come to you humbly as your people, just saying, Lord, we need to grow in this. Not one of us in this room has arrived at being peacemakers. Yet we know that's your will for us. Lord, we ask this day that you would grow us and mature us to be a people who do not repay evil for evil to be a people who do not revile for reviling, but to be a people who bless even those who have wronged us. 
Lord, I pray you would give us much, much grace to guard our tongues. Lord, you know how destructive our speech can be. So give us much grace to guard our tongues, to keep us from evil, to keep our lips from speaking deceit. Lord, even more as we seek to put off those things, we ask for much grace this week to put on doing good. To think about all the blessings you've given to us and to give us a heart, Lord, to want to do good to others, to bless others. So Lord, would you give us a big view of you this week? Not just here this morning, but as we read your word, as we pray all during this week, as we talk to one another, encourage each other, I pray that, Lord, we would see your bigness, your greatness, your glory, and that would cause us to want to do good and bless others because we've experienced such goodness from you. Lord, we know as we pursue even these challenging paths, we know, Lord, that we will find great joy and you will get all the glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together this morning? Thank you. 
scriptures out loud together as a benediction, as a declaration of what we believe, but also a prayer of dependence upon the Lord and an encouragement to one another to pursue these things. Let's start with Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. This is from the Beatitudes. Let's read this out loud together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then back to Psalm 141 verse 3. Let this be our prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my Lord, you have heard the prayer of your people this morning. We ask for grace to do that this week, that we might be people who love well, whose speech is restrained, and are people who are peacemakers because we know the God of peace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.